Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Alex Schumacher. Alex is the creator of comics such as Decades of Inexperience and Mr. Butterchips. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Alex. Alex, um, why don't you lead us off with a uh, brief intro of yourself and uh, talk a little bit about the comics that you make. Sure. Um, I'm Alex Schumacher, as Matt said. I have been drawing comics in some form or another for about 15 years. Uh, started out trying to get into comic strip syndication as the newspaper circulation was declining. So sort of jumped from lily pad to lily pad until I came to web comics, which I'm doing now as stated, decades of inexperience in Mr. Butterchips as well as uh, pursuing uh, some graphic novel uh, prospects that are currently happening. Very cool. So that was, uh, I was making some notes um, before the interview, and I thought that that was a possibility, um, that you you had an interest in newspapers and, and newspaper strips, because, um, you know, when there was print media, when there was newspapers, um, those sort of daily, weekly strips, those, those were a big deal. So those, those were uh, influence on you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my grandparents actually, and it belongs to me now, but when I was a child, it was this huge coffee table book called the Smithsonian Collection of Newspaper Comics. Mm-hmm. And so I just poured over that as a child and, you know, found works by Walt Kelly and Roy Crane and, you know, um, the, you know, there was like the Cats and Jammer Kids and Matt and Jeff, just like the whole scope of newspaper comics. So I definitely was enthralled by that scene. And so when I got back into comics in my early 20s, that was specifically my aim uh, at that time. So I sent out many, 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 many rejected comic strip pro- proposals Um and then, of course, you know, the newspaper circulation, as said, started to decline. So being a syndicated comic strip cartoonist was not really the most viable thing. And I think that's kind of when the web comic boom started happening as people were trying to suss out that transition from print media to digital. So I started doing that a little bit and then went into comic books. But certainly one of my first loves you know, was comic strips. Yeah, and what's what's really crazy if you think back about it, like uh, some of those cartoonists that were in newspapers, those, those guys were like big time celebrities, like you know, the, yeah, for your, sure, your Watersons, your you know, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. I should know Sparky, this guy. for sure. You know, Schultz and the who was the guy who drew drew Garfield? I should know this, and I, I don't. Oh, know Jim what, Davis. Yeah, like those guys were like, you know. Uh, as I said earlier, they they were like big time celebrities, you know, people knew their name and it's just crazy to think that like now, like that, that no longer exists. No, for sure. I mean, at the sort of peak of newspaper comic strips, you know, the na- some of the names that you mentioned, I mean, they were making upwards of millions every year. It was an incredibly lucrative prospect because you also had merchandising and, mm-hmm. you know, the circulation was huge at that point. And then, all of the, you know, the huge conglomerates just started monopolizing the industry. And there were, you know, now there's two or three companies that own all of the newspapers. So number one, you lose that competitive edge that the newspapers needed 
to buy comic strips and then you lose the circulation as well. And of course, with the advent of the internet and all of the digital avenues that we have now, that certainly made a huge impact on, on print media as well. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the, the two projects that I mentioned earlier. Um, let's talk about uh, decades of inexperience. Uh, what is the, the, the premise there? So it's sort of a um, you know, semi-autobiographical, although very loosely interpreted with a lot of artistic liberties taken, um, kind of revolving around my late 20s, early 30s. So it's about a, a gentleman named Luke Carlin, who when we first meet him in year one, so we're in year four now, I figure I'll mention that up front. Mm-hmm. So in year one, he's just sort of this, mess who is drinking himself into a coma every night is not very good at navigating relationships and so I wanted to start it there because then I wanted that character to go on a journey of sort of self-discovery and you know becoming more self-aware and emotionally available and things of that nature so it's very it's heavily influenced by my own experiences but again there's a lot of liberties taken just to um, sort of get the narrative correct and keep it interesting from week to week because it's a weekly. So it's a very specific format to tell an ongoing story, but it's been incredibly enjoyable. And um, I do it with an online publisher called Antics Press, uh, which is run by my editor named Francis Lombard, who is who has been a wonderful boon to you know pushing me as a writer and an artist. And again, we're in the fourth year now, so we'll see kind of how popularity grows. And, and we'd certainly like to keep it going indefinitely um, as long as we have a story to tell. So you, you mentioned that it's weekly. Do you have a, like a set schedule where you try to, to release on a certain day uh, uh, every week? Yeah, new episodes are released every Friday. Every Friday. Yeah, and- so you could, he posted at anticspress.com, but we also have an archive site, which I'll mention later too. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, how far, like, uh, do you, are you like, is it like a, um, and I, I looked at a little bit of this, uh, before the interview. Um, do you do like the same number of, of panels each week? Um, and, uh, how far in advance do you, do you have it written out? As far as the panel structure goes, I do usually write it in a six panel format, but typically that will transform a little bit as I'm actually drawing it and mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, the, the flow of the page correct. So it's, it typically varies quite a bit, but it's written in sort of a six panel beat format. Um, and as much as Francis would like me to be weeks ahead in the writing, uh, I usually start the year you know, pretty well ahead, a few weeks ahead. But right now, I think we're two weeks ahead with the writing, and I usually draw it you mm-hmm. know, the week of. So that's, that's typically our schedule. Okay. And um, since that you're the writer and the artist, are you pretty like sparse with the script, um, knowing that like you don't need to go into to a lot of description because I'm assuming that as you're 
as you're writing it, you're also sort of envisioning some some layouts in your head, you know, positioning the the characters in your head, thinking about that. So, is it are your are your scripts that you're writing are they pretty sparse or are they are they detailed? Uh, they they're pretty sparse. I mean, as you said, I, I certainly have an overactive imagination. So when I'm writing, I see it all in my head. But for Francis's sake, I do put you know maybe a line or so of what I plan to draw in that mm-hmm. panel along with the dialogue, just so he has an idea of it. And I'll usually you know, flip the thumbnail past him. So just so he can kind of see how the page is laid out and, you know, maybe give some notes or just say, yeah, that looks great. Go ahead with that. Uh, but I definitely, for myself, I can write uh, pretty, like you said, pretty sparsely and don't need to go into too much detail. Um, Cause I, typically have a, a good idea of what I'm going to draw. And that can certainly change, you know, as I actually start drawing and realize maybe something didn't work or flow as well as I would like it to. But yeah, as far as my scripts go, they're pretty light on description. And uh, how do you work? Do you work uh, traditional or do you work uh, digital? Yeah, I, I am a traditional guy. So I still draw with a uh, drafting table and, um, yeah, on, on pen or on, on paper with markers and then scan it in and kind of clean things up digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's about my only interaction with Photoshop is just to kind of scan it in so we could put it online. And, uh, like, is your, is your lettering, is that, is that hand lettering or is that digital? Yeah, that is all painstakingly hand lettered. <laughs> oh, wow. So I've, I've toyed with the idea of, you know, getting a font of my own handwriting made because that would certainly make things a lot easier. I just kind of haven't gotten around to it yet, <laughs> but I, I should probably do that at some point. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Um, I was listening to something the the other day, and some guys were talking about hand lettering, and they they said that like uh, you should you should like write the text first and then draw the balloon around it because if you if you draw the balloon first and then you try to like center like that text inside of it, you'll never, you'll never get that. So as somebody who's hand lettering, is, is that a process that you use? Do you, do you try to um, space out and make the lettering look even and then draw the balloon with the tail around it? Or is it, or is it balloon and tail and then text? No, it's definitely text first. And, and there's a couple for, and for my purposes, there's a couple reasons for that. One is like you said, it's to, you know, make sure that the spacing is correct. So you could put the, the dialogue bubble around it and two to make sure that you're not covering the artwork. Oh, so okay. I, I definitely do that beforehand. And um, yeah, sometimes I can see, you know, for, from my own perspective, we're all our worst critics and, I always look at the flaws of my lettering, but people have said that it's pretty decent. So I, you know, I keep doing it and it seems that my process has worked out pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's certainly going back to the idea of writing the script. That's certainly something that I have in mind when I'm, you know, writing the narrative or the dialogue as well is, you know, I only have this one page every week to do it. So how much can you fit in there and still have it be legible and still have it be succinct at the same time. So that's certainly something that's always on my mind as well when I'm writing. And do you like, uh, 
do you have like a uh, like a ruler and do you like set out that like uh, you know you want the the letters to be like this height and and stuff like that so is is that how you're you're handling the the hand lettering to try to make it look uniform throughout or is that like not a concern for you no it's definitely a concern i'm concerned enough about my handwriting as it is so i need something to maybe keep it a little bit uh, more uniform so yeah i use the old school t square and a ruler and try to make it all at least close to the same size as possible. And mm. I bought an Ames lettering guide years ago, and I'm sure people, you know, letterers out there will know what that is. And it's essentially just this little plastic tool that's supposed to be the industry standard for lettering. And I just never figured the damn thing out. So I just use a ruler and T-square at this point because it seems to work okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like... Uh folks that still work traditional is sort of uh a dying breed people are people are phasing out um i have a couple of old um original art pages and uh i have like a uh, a daredevil page from like like the early 300s and the, oh, well. and the word balloons are actually sort of like cut out and uh glued like on the page Huh. And one is actually the, the, the adhesive of the glue has sort of um, over time it's dropped off and it's, it's in a, it's in a top loader so it doesn't get bent. And uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to um, glue it back and not, not ruin it. So I haven't, been sure. bra- I haven't been brave enough to, to attempt that yet, but that's, that's something I'll have to do. I'll have to do one day. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things I love about working traditionally is having that original page when you're done and seeing everything warts and all, you know, because digital, you can clean up everything. And I understand why people work digitally now. Number one, the technology is available. And number two, it's quite a bit quicker because you already have it, you know, in the computer and all files are submitted digitally these days, even to print publishers. So I can certainly understand the appeal to working digitally, but for me, there's still, you know, I still remain a holdout because there's something appealing and almost nostalgic about creating on the physical piece of paper and feeling that pen drag over the, the you know, whatever tooth you decide to have. So it's just for something for me, it's, it's almost comforting to still work that way. Yeah. I, I, um, when when I do draw, I ha- I I always thought that um, I would draw like pen on on paper, pencil on paper, and um, I've recently somewhat been converted by my iPad Pro and Apple Pencil, but for the longest yeah. time, I had the I had the the issue that like uh, you know being a kid s- scribbling in my notebook you know, the, the feel of, like you said, that pencil, that pen dragging across the paper, like that was like all I knew. And it was so, um, so foreign to, um, draw on a glass surface and not feel that. Now the, the, the Apple pencil and the, the iPad are the closest thing I've, that I've experienced that, that gets you that feel, but there is nothing Mm -hmm. like, uh, the feel of the pen on the paper and it's sort of like that friction that you get. Yeah. It's that 
you know, complete immersion almost in creating the art. Because for me, uh, you know, I've tried some tablet stuff and I do things like gray tones and things of that nature with a tablet, but there's just a weird disconnect for me. And that it's possible that I just haven't experienced it enough to, mm-hmm. to feel that connection to it. But for me, having that, that page in front of you, it, it's, there's just something tangible and human about having that, that piece of paper on the table. Yeah. And one interesting thing is, uh, uh, like I said, I have slowly been converting over to, to my iPad and a- Apple Pencil. But um, I sat down and I was trying to teach uh, my daughter a little bit of, of stuff with my limited art ability. And <laughs> uh, I drew a line that I didn't like. And I, I went with two fingers and I tapped a piece of paper to try to, to, to undo the, uh, the line that I just <laughs> drew. And I was like, oh, that doesn't work here. So Right. Right. And, and, you know, to your point, that is certainly one of the advantages of working digitally. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the, those mistakes and those, you know, human errors are something that I love mm-hmm. seeing on an on original page. And there's this place in San Francisco called the Cartoon Art Museum, which I spent a lot of time there when I was living up in the Bay Area. And they have on display a, just a myriad original pieces of art from comics and comic strips and animation cells. And it's just such an experience to look through all those and, you know, see the white paint and the, you know, lettering fall or the glue falling off if they did a patch or something. It's mm-hmm. just, to me, there, there's something very spiritual and magical about that. Yeah. So uh, a question that goes with uh, working traditionally, do you hold on to every, every page or do you, um, you know, if you're doing a con, do you, do you, uh, and somebody's interested in, in buying um, one of your pages, do you, do you sell those? I, I would if there was an interest. I, I just, I don't know if there would be. Uh, I, I've tried a couple times. I was trying to, you know, unload some of the stacks of pages that I have at this point, And I just kind of put them up on eBay. And to be fair, I'm not the best salesman or a marketing person to do that for myself, but there didn't seem to be much interest. So I haven't really revisited that yet, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe if, if at some point I make a little name for myself, I would certainly be open to it. Very cool. You'll be right. to get rid of some of those. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would assume, um, you know, I'm a bit of a, uh, I'm a bit of a pack rat and uh, uh, paper tactile feel guy myself, but I, I would assume uh, that oh, after, yeah. It, yeah. It, it piles up after a while. Um, so let's, um, if we can, let's, uh, let's go in and talk about Mr. Butterchips. Um what uh what is the what is the the plot and the premise of of that comic? that it does my wife would be happy if i got rid of some of those i'm sure too. so i i think we have a little bit of a delay here so um once once your audio catches up um if you have a chance um let's uh let's let's talk a little bit about sure. mr butter chips So, Mr. Butter. Oh, I seem to have totally lost you. 
Uh, you, you sound good now. So if you're, um, Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, okay. we'll, so sorry, no, no problems. Um, so yeah, we were going to, we were going to dive into to Mr. Butterchips. Sure. Uh, so Mr. Butterchips was part of an ensemble comic strip cast when I was still trying for syndication and he was, he's based on the organ grinder monkey that used to be at the Monterey uh, Fisher Mound, a group of anthropomorphic animals in that area. And the comic strip went nowhere, but Mr. Butterchips was always kind of an intriguing character to me. And so when the opportunity came about to produce a monthly comic strip featuring him, I thought, what a great opportunity to have this comic that's an homage to all the classic underground comics that I loved, you know, mm -hmm. by Gilbert Shelton and R. Crumb and that crew. And then the 2016 election happened. So that was maybe four or five months after the comic strip began. And Mr. Butterships morphed into this social commentary, editorial sort of comic strip where I can voice my frustrations through this cartoon monkey, which seems mm -hmm. to be, you know, a way that's maybe a little bit more palatable or um, at least tolerable for people as opposed to me just shouting at them in a comment section somewhere. Yeah. And so this one is, this one is monthly. Is, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. For drunk monkeys magazine. And um, is there a set schedule for, for that one as well? Like a certain day of the week that you guys shoot for, for release? I'm sorry, it's, like a day of the, or a day, of, like a date every, every month uh, to, to release. Yeah, they typically try for the first Monday of each okay. month. Uh, sometimes that's delayed for one reason or another, but the by and large, it's the first Monday of each month. Okay, and uh, we talked about this a uh, a little bit earlier. Um, are you are are you working on like say that like we're in um, as of this recording? It's uh, you know August. Are you? Um, are you working for that September release now? Are you, are you ahead or are you, um, uh, you know, just sort of like working to, you know, hit that monthly goal? With butter chips, I usually am not that far ahead as, as far as writing goes simply because I, I look for more topical and pressing things. So if something, you know, happens mid month, before the next release, I may be doing a commentary on that. And the editors, um, or the editor-in-chief, Colleen Carney, who's wonderful and kind of you know gives me carte blanche to do whatever, um, she's, she's typically okay with it as long as I am keeping in contact with her and letting her know what the status is. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually I'm not too ahead on that, but I certainly have a backlog of ideas that I can draw upon if necessary, if you know the hourglass <laughs> runs out and uh, I need to put something out there. Uh, but I, I definitely try and do some sort of, you know, timely commentary. And um, with it being a political co uh, comic, um, has there ever been a time where like uh, you were, you know, like we were saying, like you're, you're in a month, but you're preparing for that release next month. And uh, you know, with today's political climate, like, 
you know, where we are yesterday and where we are today and where we are tomorrow could be, you know, three completely different, different things. So have you ever sort of started on something to sort of do commentary on that? And then like, uh, you know, you get up, you turn on the news and the, you know, the next story you see is so unbelievable that you sort of have to shift gears and, 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 and tackle that. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I mean, there just seems to be so many issues going on concurrently these days that I'll have something planned. And then, you know, like you said, the next week or the next day or the next hour, sometimes something else will happen that I feel very compelled to write about or, or talk about with the comic. So there's definitely been times where, and, and, you know, once in a while, if that happens, I can even push the the previous one that I was working on to the next month or, mm-hmm. you know, have it on the backlog if it's an ongoing issue. But there's absolutely been moments where I had to shift gears, you know, uh, mid-production of the comic. Yeah. Um, so I have a question. With it being a political comment or comic, um, uh, do you... Uh, and with everything being so divisive in our country right now, um, do you get any blowback or any um, negative comments if you do something that might rub one of the one of the parties or one of the sides of of our nation? Do you do you do you experience that? surprisingly only a couple of instances where I've received some negative feedback for the most part. I think the readership of drunk monkeys is probably more aligned with my views. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's, yeah, it seems to, you know, hit the mark pretty well with that core audience. And like I said, there's only been a couple times where somebody's written me and It's been about something inane in the comic and not even the main issue that I was criticizing. So it's been kind of funny like that. And I almost wait for, for that kind of, um, you know, the, the, the angry mobs to, mm-hmm. to have that kind of backlash, but just hasn't happened as of yet. So I'm okay with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Mr. Brotherships can be sort of a, a polarizing <laughs> comic at times if you, are on the side that maybe he's not um, supporting. Yeah. Um, do you think the fact that it's a uh, anthropomorphic uh, animal um, might make people a little um, less likely to to get upset? You know. Um, you know. I'm just assuming that like maybe if there was like some like Garfield, you know, back in the '80s would have made a jab at like Reagan like people wouldn't have been ups, you know, they, they wouldn't have got as upset because it was, it was a cat that's main concern was, was lasagna or something like, you know, so like, do you, do you feel like that, that helps it at all? Oh, absolutely. That was kind of a contrived (laughs) sort of format to voice those opinions because Mr. Brotherships is kind of a shield in a way because you see this, this capuchin monkey that's, you know, getting drunk and smoking (laughs) and saying these you know wild things 
and you don't think, oh, that cartoonist is crazy, or at least most people don't seem to <laughs> think, oh, the guy writing this is a jerk or whatever the case may be. They just see this crazy monkey spouting, you know, his own opinion. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that at least helps not rile the other side, maybe. Or, you know, maybe they just see it and it can be easily dismissed if you're if you don't agree with what he's saying. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's the beauty of, uh, using a, uh, an animal or, or a soft, fluffy, uh, being to sort of, um, deliver your message. So, um, earlier you had yeah. mentioned, you had mentioned that, uh, hopefully or possibly there's some some graphic novels um for you in the future uh, is there anything that you you can tell us about that yeah so i uh jumping back a little bit mm-hmm. i tried to get into picture books and sort of kid literature a few years back when i really started focusing on the writing side because for a long time i was just attempting to be you know, the next rock star illustrator, which I realized very quickly was not going to happen. So I decided to bone up on my writing skills so I could tell my own stories. And so I jumped into querying agents for picture books, which did not go very well. And so I had a few years in between and looked up tutorials and read a bunch of different articles on querying and writing the query letter. And so I was fortunate enough to find an agent named Peter Ryan, who is with Stamola Literary Agency, and he's been nothing but wonderful and supportive. And so we are pitching a new graphic novel mm-hmm. as we speak. Uh, so we're keeping our fingers crossed for that. And of course, yeah, I mean, I you know, won't divulge too much, but it is definitely a, you know, a much longer form work than I've done before and a very personal work. So it's, it's still in the slice of life category. But we, you know, we have our fingers crossed and, you know, Pete has a pretty good track record for being an agent as long as he has. And so we're going to keep our fingers crossed and and see what happens. But there's a couple other books that I I have waiting in the wings to just, you know, in the off chance. But if this doesn't sell, uh, we'll definitely keep trying because graphic novels are kind of the big thing right now here in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the widely recognized format everywhere is coming to sort of catch a here in this town because people are comic books don't just have to be super people are telling very personal stories which is which is so um i have a question for you on sort of uh like workflow um do you yeah. 
do you have like a like a certain time of day that works best for you are you a do you, do you wake up early and work on stuff are you are you a night owl uh what's what's your process I'm most definitely a night owl because most mornings I barely wake up as it is. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I have a day job. So my working hours for the comics are typically I, I'll come home from work. It's a nine to five slog mm-hmm. and I'll come home and maybe from six to 10, six to 11, that's sort of my work time during the weekdays. And then on weekends I try to, you know, put in six or seven hours if I can, if I can handle that or if, you know, I'm not doing something with my wife or friends, but I, I try to put in a good amount of time. That's, that's cool. Um, is there like a, and, uh, is there like a, like a goal that you have each day? Is it like, you know, um, after the writing is done, is it like, uh, you know, I know that you mentioned earlier that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of your stuff is six panels. So are you like, let's, let's get this one panel, um, completely ready to go let's let's shoot for two is there is there a goal that you have each day or you just sort of um see where the day takes you i think there's always an initial goal and then either i can either i exceed it which is rare mm-hmm. or i disappoint myself which is more common <laughs> but i usually have i usually go into it with yeah some goal in mind like you said get these two or three panels done or okay tonight I'm just going to work on the lettering and getting the layout done. So it's what's been helpful for me is finding projects where I have deadlines because I could see myself very easily procrastinating on everything and not being productive at all. I would, I would very easily fall into that trap. So having a deadline, you know, and you have to produce has been a boon to my workflow and my productivity for certain. So I kind of have to set myself those goals every day and almost have to be writing or drawing. And that's really the only way to improve and hone your craft too. So it's something that's definitely been beneficial for me because I can be very lazy if given the opportunity. Yeah, I I hear you there. Um, So I feel like we've covered... Um, a lot of stuff here. Um, is there anything that you want to mention in closing before we sort of uh, say our goodbyes and let uh, let everybody know where they, they can find you online? I, I think we covered all the current projects. It's the decades, Mr. Butterchips, and you know, hopefully I'll have more news on the graphic novels coming up soon, but those are certainly the two most current ones. Yeah, and if once once that news comes out, you'll you'll have to let us know, and we'll we'll, we'll be certain to to uh, you know talk about it, share it, and try to get as many eyes on it as we can. Oh, that's excellent! Thank thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, as I said, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and your comics online? Sure. Uh, my main site is alexschumacherart.com. Uh, we have the Decades Archive at decadesofinexperience.com. Mr. Butterchips is on the Drunk Monkeys website. Mm-hmm. So it's a magazine. I believe the web address is drunkmonkeys.us. I usually get that wrong, but I think that's right. Um, and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at AJ Schumacher Art. Yeah, and um, I'll look up all of those links and put those in the in the show notes for anybody who wants to 
go in and, and, and find all of those. So very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Alex, I really want to thank you uh, for, for being on this interview. Um, this was, this was great for us. Um, a lot of our other interviews and our discussions are, um, you know, we, we, uh, we cover a lot of like superhero monthly, you know, print comics. So it was really great to talk to somebody who's, you know, doing weekly and monthly web comics. I feel like it gave us a, a different uh, overview and show that there's, there's more to comics than just, you know, Batman punching, a, punching a dude to the neck every, every month. So. <laughs> right. There's some substance out there. So I'm, I'm happy to have shed some light on that for your listeners. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for, for listening and let everybody know um, that if they want to see more of Alex's work, we'll share some of this on our social media. Um, we're on Twitter at construct com pod. We're on Instagram at constructing comics pod. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com uh, forward slash constructing comics. We also have a YouTube channel under the same name. And like I said, there'll be links to those and all of Alex's social media and websites um, in the show notes. So I'd like to once again, thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Alex for, for being on. And I just want to close. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And I just want to close um, by saying uh, go out there and uh, make some comics uh, and put some stuff out into the world.